Today, I'm joined by Valerie Malone, an expert in transforming short-term rental spaces into unique guest-enticing retreats. In this episode, we're exploring how innovative interior design can combat market saturation. We're going to look at the secrets behind catering to specific guest demographics and the delicate balance between trendiness and timelessness. Stay tuned as Valerie shares her insights on designing with sustainability in mind and how to make your property shine in a crowded marketplace. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and I'm super delighted to be back with you once again as we get into December. Holiday times are around. It's all very lovely around and about here, even here down in Gulf Shores. You know, it. Uh, I often thought, you know, how do they celebrate Christmas where there's no snow? And they do it extremely well. So I'm sort of getting festive, which is really nice since I'm not heading back to the snow for this Christmas. So I saw a couple of posts recently about, you know, decorating a short-term rental for Christmas and for the holidays and how you should do it, when you should do it, if you should do it. And it just got me thinking about the whole business of decor and design and how it is so important to creating a really, really attractive space. And I've done some podcast episodes in the past on design and decor but it hasn't been for the longest time. So I am super excited to have with me today interior design strategist Valerie Malone. She's been making waves with her innovative approach to short-term rental design, bringing properties to life in ways that not only captivate guests, but also to have these properties stand out in an increasingly crowded market. Valerie wrote a blog post recently about using design to combat the Airbnb bust. I mean, we know that the whole Airbnb bust thing has been pretty much debunked, but it's it's still out there in certain places, in certain ways. So I wanted to bring Valerie on to talk about how her expertise can help to identify and appeal to different guest demographics through thoughtful interior design. She's going to uncover some common design pitfalls in short-term rentals and tell you how you can avoid them, ensuring that your place not only looks stunning, but it's also practical and welcoming. But that's not all. She's also going to discuss the importance of local culture in your property's decor, the art of capturing stunning photos to showcase your design online, and how to achieve all of this even on a tight budget. And for those concerned about the environment, which I hope is many of you, Valerie's insights on integrating eco-friendly practices in your design is a must-listen. 
We're also going to tackle the age-old debate, I think it's an age-old debate, of trendy versus timeless decor and how to find that perfect balance between aesthetic appeal and functionality. Plus, Valerie's going to share her tips on using vision boards for effective planning, selecting art that resonates with guests and the crucial role of guest feedback in continuously refining your interior design. So whether you're a seasoned property owner or just starting out or you manage multiple properties and deal with many, many different owners, this episode is packed with actionable advice and innovative ideas to elevate your rental to the next level. Grab a notebook, get inspired with Valerie Malone on today's Vacation Rental Success Podcast. I'm super happy to have with me today Valerie Malone from Quill Decor. And I'm so excited about this because I just said to Valerie that I consider myself pretty incompetent at interior design and it's going to be so much fun to actually talk about this and learn from a real expert. Valerie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Heather. I'm so happy to be here. This is my favorite subject, so <laughs> can jump right in. Okay, let, let's start with a little bit about your background how you actually transposed your interior design skills into this industry. What made you choose this industry to come into? So I have a background in commercial design as well as residential. And I, I started just, I fell into it like a lot of people. My husband and I had a basement apartment in a house we owned in a university town in Indiana. And we turned that basement apartment into a short-term rental about 10 years ago. So really before the game has changed so much as it is now in 2023. But what I realized, I owned a, a residential design firm at the time. What I realized is that these Airbnbs were cropping up all over and people were starting to do more of it, but nobody was really focused on the design. And you can't decouple design from this business because we are selling interior spaces that and experiences and hospitality and these things are all wrapped together. So my love of hospitality and design just kind of led me towards focusing my business on short-term rental design. And here we are many years later. And I think it's so important. When I when I started out back in the late 1990s buying cottages in uh, in Canada in Ontario, there was no such thing as interior design. I mean just picture not even log cabins, you know, that old mm -hmm. paneling, the the wood paneling, yes. the really really cheap stuff. Just the 70s kind, it's yes. kind of like hollow. Yeah. Oh yeah, the seven that's, that's a 70s paneling, 70s carpet, 70s <laughs> curtains everything was brown and orange yes orange and maybe some green thrown in yeah not a lot of green but yeah lots and lots of brown and orange and and the beds I remember looking at so many cottages when I started out as a property manager and every bedroom had grandma's old throves on it so <laughs> I, I muddled through and I wish I'd had some experience in interior design to help me out. But we'll probably come back to this over the course of this, this, this conversation because there's so much I want to cover. But I wanted to start out with the presentation you did at Jen Boyle's Direct Book Success Summit and the consequent right. blog post where you talked about the problem of 
Airbnb bust due to market saturation. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something that came out and everybody I'm sure remembers that viral tweet that just fired up so much conversation around this. And it's since been sort of debunked, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't get away from the fact that we are in a hugely competitive environment now, whether you're in a saturated area or not. So I want to kick off with how designing a place well and creating good decor can help owners and property managers stand out in a crowded market. Well, I think it's important to remember that your competition isn't just other rentals. Your competition is hotels as well. Depending on where you are and how you're positioned in your particular market, you want to think about all of your competition and how to be like a hotel, which is well-designed, but then even better. Because as a short-term rental, you have the opportunity to have and supply things that hotels just can't, like a full kitchen and a living room. And so I think it's about allowing design to differentiate you for sure and knowing the market that you're in and what you need to be paying attention to. And in a lot of cases, if you improve your design, you're going to improve your bookings and your occupancy rate and potentially even your your nightly rate. So I think, you know, yes, the Airbnb, Airbnb bus thing maybe has been debunked, but it does call to attention this opportunity to elevate yourself and your rental a little bit higher to not be boring. First of all, that's a goal, but then also to not just be cookie cutter. So what you have are a lot of properties that aren't designed at all. I'm doing air quotes. They're not designed, meaning nobody has actually sat down and thought about how the aesthetics look, how they feel to be in the space from all the different angles, how the rooms flow from one to another, how your color palette flows all around the house, because you've got seconds to grab people's attention. I know we'll talk about photographs a little bit more, but if you are trying to appeal to somebody, you have you have seconds to grab them. So you want those first photos, or in some case, if they're on their phone, that first photo to be interesting and appealing enough to set you apart so that you get more seconds. And in those more seconds, then what are you going to do? So my whole point with that presentation, the Airbnb bust presentation, which is a blog post as well, is just how to how to be better, how to elevate above and rise on top of your competition. And that design can really do that for you. I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> this is my whole this is my whole platform and how I run my business, but it's so important as a consumer as well. I'm mm-hmm. I'm constantly looking at the design of a place. All consumers are. You are. Everybody is thinking about the experience and the design of the place where they're going to stay. So if you're going to grab people and be competitive, you've got to think about the design from multiple angles, ideally. Well, we're going to come back in a few minutes to talk about local cultural themes, but I I really wanted to share something with you. It's a discussion I had at the Vacation Rental Managers Association, the Verma Conference in Orlando, a couple of weeks ago with Nick Halverson, who is the founder of OSA Property Management in Uvita in Costa Rica. And we were talking about new properties and new builds and how many people are coming in and building places. And I was asking him about the rental potential as this market is becoming not necessarily saturated, but it's it's building up. And he said the problem is, is that people are coming in with a generic Airbnb design. Yeah. And he said they, they right. all look 
the same. They're the all same, yeah. they're all white. They're, they, they, there is no nod to the local culture. But I think this mm. is where you're coming from here is that, you know, people have got this mm-hmm. idea, you know, go on to an Airbnb and see this, this sterile. Well, to me, it's sterile. Maybe it's minimalist. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think soulless. I think soulless is the word you're talking about. That's a perfect word. That's a perfect word. And I think that's that. That's actually a word that, that Nick used. And mm. he said yeah, this is the issue that p- people are having when they're buying these properties is they're just seeing something this soulless and thinking it will rent and it and it's not in a crowded market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think particularly when it is, like he said, those new build properties with the spec kitchen, there's nothing special. It's fine. It's nice. But it isn't interesting and it isn't special and it isn't unless you have a property in an ideal location without 17 other identical properties right around it, mm-hmm. you're going to need to differentiate yourself. You're going to need to spend some some time on the design on the outset and to differentiate yourself with that design. It'll, it is a worthwhile investment if you do that, particularly in those boring spaces. I can tell you. My favorite way to add life to a soulless space is by adding things with soul. And how do you do that? You add old things. I love old things. I can make them work in any style aesthetic, whether it's modern and minimalist or, you know, a French vintage sort of style, but finding ways to incorporate old, like, for example, if you, where did you say Nick was? Was that Nick his name? Uh, Nick in uh, Costa Rica. In Costa Rica. So finding some interesting local that does some art with seagrass and pulling that in or just pulling in something from an old flea market that you would find in Costa Rica. Finding ways to get interesting things on the walls is really important, especially if you've got a new build space that's cookie cutter. Yeah. And and there's a lot of them. We're going to come back to that, but I I wanted to um, just explore the whole thing of avatar, persona, whatever you call it, target audience because not every type of design or decor is going to suit every audience. I know it's important to identify a target audience for a property. How does that impact you when you're talking to somebody, when you're talking to a property Mm. owner? How do you get them to think about the idea of the target audience? Well, I think it's I think it's necessary. Like you said, I think everybody who talks in this space, teachers and podcasters, and we all have preached about the avatar, have the avatar know who you're talking to so that you can market to them. So if you want, I can give you some like specific examples of oh, ideas. Please, yes. So let's say you have a one or two bedroom place and you're trying to appeal to the digital nomad. You know, mm-hmm. you have your urban potentially, you've got cool coffee shops. Or even if you're rural, sometimes you want to pull in that digital nomad who's going to be camping at your place for longer than just a week. So what's going to appeal to that particular avatar? It's going to be a really nice desk, really good chair to sit in that feels comfortable and good Wi-Fi. I think everybody needs good Wi-Fi. But then also think about the Zoom background. It's important to that person. If you're a digital nomad, you're probably on Zoom calls all day. And it doesn't have to be incredibly difficult or fancy, but could you just do a wallpaper? Think about the wall behind the desk and then advertise that. Photograph it from that angle to make sure they know this is your Zoom background. You can say that. This is your this is your Zoom background if you work from here. So really appealing to that particular person. Another might be multi-generational families having games and toys and baby gear. And I always say to people, if you don't particularly want to host babies, don't have the baby gear. <laughs> 
But if you do want that multi-generational family, then you have to think about what are they going to be doing? You might need to add the fire pit. You might need to add the hot tub if your market calls for that. If you're in the Smoky Mountains, it might hurt you not to have certain amenities for that multi-gen family. So really digging in and doing your research of what that family is booking and what they want when they're booking. Is it the basement with the arcade games and the movie theater room? You know, really understanding not only your avatar, but also the what the avatar wants within that market is really important. And then another one I like to talk about is the double income earning couple. So maybe they don't have kids or they're empty nesters, but they're going to go, they're going to spend a little bit more for the luxury. So what are those things that you can do to really set yourself apart and appeal to that group of people or those couples? It's probably bathrobes. Maybe it's partnering with the local spa and getting them a 10% off coupon, doing a little um, business with the local spa and offering them that, having nicer furniture, and that will allow you to potentially raise your price. And then bottle of wine, like really think about the experience, not just the space when it comes to appealing to these people. So so when you're when you're doing this, you're you're doing your design according to your avatar. And I, I absolute gold that suggestion you made about the Zoom background. I would never have thought about that, but actually including that on a listing and and pointing to it that was that's a terrific piece of advice what about other elements of of design let's say for your digital nomad would you mm. sort of look around you know, look at the color and the and your soft furnishings and the bedding would all that come into it as well Definitely. So I think when it comes to selecting all of the other things, the easiest thing to do is to stand back and first select your style direction. What is your style genre that you're going after? And I wouldn't select a single thing until I I know my audience, who is my avatar. And then what is my style direction for this space? And what determines the style direction is the avatar, but also it's your location. Obviously, if you're in a beachy town, you're going to do a coastal sort of style, but is it traditional or is it minimal? That you get to choose, and that's the fun part. But the things that will come into play when you make that choice are what's happening inside of the space already, what's happening in the architecture. And if it's nothing, if it's a really boring box and you know you want to make it come to life, then you figure out the ways that you can do that. Get yourself on the internet, find some inspiration, and look for ways that you can tangibly change the space and make it interesting and stand out and make it different from the other 12 units in that building that you know are also going to be rentals and your competition. That's interesting stuff. And it it just got me thinking about mistakes because I know I've made mistakes, lots of them over the years. I had seven properties of my own, um, managed 200. And I know I made comments to owners, perhaps from my completely non-design perspective, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that may not have been as as appropriate. So let's just take a little bit of negative here and look at some okay. common design mistakes that you've seen people make when they are starting out. Oh, I think the, the most common thing is that you just go start buying stuff or you start <laughs> you start buying stuff without creating the plan, without really understanding what is my general color palette? What is my style direction? What is my, what mood am I after? What, 
what kind of things do they just say, oh, this is this is a great piece of art. I'll grab this. And then this is some great pillows and I'll grab this. And then what you have is a hodgepodge of things that may or may not work together. And you probably don't have a real understanding of how to execute this massive undertaking. Because if you're starting from scratch, it is massive. So spreadsheets are your friend. I highly recommend you put yourself a budget spreadsheet together. This is something I offer to my course students that I teach I have a design course for rentals that anybody can take because it is an overwhelming process, but I think anybody can can do it. It can be broken down to a little bit of a science and a step-by-step. So certainly you want an overall plan before you do anything. And I think that's probably the most common mistake. I I would say too, paint colors before you're picking anything else. So when you do anything without the whole picture, then you're going to end up confused and frustrated and probably really stressed and under the wire and maybe over budget. Yeah, this is where I went. <laughs> Everything you've said is exactly what I used to do. You know, it's, I, I buy a new plate. Um, but, you know, to give myself a little, you know, to give myself a little bit of slack here, I would do a trip out to Canada from the UK. I would find a property that I liked, get the ball rolling in terms of the purchase while I was there. And head home. And then on closing day, I would arrive back out, go sign the paperwork. And I had a weekend. Um, Oh my gosh. To furnish everything? (laughs) To furnish everything. So I worked with- They usually come with some furniture? No, no, usually pretty empty. So I, I had, uh, I I worked with a, with a local furniture company and um, we had all that sort of prearranged what I would have. And it was just about the same, same stuff that went in. And and then, but then but I would arrive and I'd go to I'd go to Walmart. Thinking back twenty years, coming out from UK where we never had Walmart, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I was like a kid in a oh. candy store. So, you know, my mistake was just buying everything cheap and yeah, and then just going and buying and you, exactly what you said about artwork. Oh, I like that one and I like that one and here's some cushions and here's some bedding. Just pile it all yeah. into the into the cart. Right, right. And I just ended up with that with that complete mishmash. <laughs> Right. Well, the thing is, though, Heather, the the way that things have gone to market, the way that we go to market now has completely changed in the last 20 years. And what you're able to buy online now is is different from what it was 10 years ago. We didn't have the ability to put together a vision board and say, right, well, I'm going to order all of this and then get it to the site. It's it's changed a lot in that way. And some things are not great, like um, fast furniture and how we are producing throwaway furniture now and how bad this is for the planet. That is a negative to the way that we go to market now, but there are some positives and there are ways to avoid those fast furniture items and still be able to holistically look at the design on one screen on your vision board and execute and bring that to life. So I'll give you some slack. It was a different, it was a different world 20 years ago and how you purchased anything. Well, yeah, you said you've um, you said a couple of things there that I want to just come back on. One is is fast furniture. We'll talk about that in a second, but the other is vision boards and online sources. So Wayfair, mm-hmm. in particular. I mean, when I was doing my initial kitting out of properties, we didn't have Wayfair. We didn't have right. Pinterest. Right. No. So, so talk to me. Let's start with talking to me about vision boards. Okay. What, and I've watched HGTV programs and I've seen the designers come out with these wonderful vision boards and think, well, how do you do that? How, yeah. how do you get started with that? Okay. So it's, it's 
I can't really do anything without a vision board, if I'm honest. So it is the way I view the room in the quickest possible way. Of course, you can, as a designer, you can do, you know, intricate drawings and 3D models and create things, but you don't really have to do that, especially if you're not doing structural changes. If you're just decorating, you can do flat boards. I use Canva, which is a, everyone knows what Canva is, right? So it's an easy graphic design, cloud-based program. You can use PowerPoint if you would rather, or a similar program, but I just pull items into the board and move them around. They're a hot mess when you start out. And eventually you kind of shape it to look like the room. It allows you to see the balance of the room. So if your curtains are on the left and the right side of the room, for example, you want to put them on both sides of your board. You can see the color balance of the curtains versus the other furniture. It just, it allows you to step back. And like I, like I said, you want that 30,000 foot plan. This is the 30,000 foot of everything that's actually going in the space, the actual sofa. And if you go local for a lot of things, you can still create a vision board because you can find an image online of anything. Mm -hmm. So even if it's just a lookalike sideboard or a lookalike sofa, you still pull that in so that you understand the balance and flow and color of a room. So I think that's that's the, the tool that almost anybody can use and figure out with just a few hours of playing around. And it's really powerful. And it's a way to give you confidence with all of those purchases. I'm and I'm sure you can find YouTube videos. You just Yes. Just put in vision boards in Canva and it will of course you show can. you how to do it. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, exactly. I might try that for my R V. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is my usual mishmash of of stuff. <laughs> so tell me about Pinterest. I came across somebody sent me an email this morning about you know a Pinterest course, and I th- I used to love 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 Pinterest, and haven't used it for a long long time. And I'm just wondering if this is still a valid place for people to source ideas and to yeah. um, collate them. Yeah, so it absolutely is. I think Pinterest has changed a lot in the last several years as well. So I use it less for a source of inspiration images, but I still do use it. Yeah, Pinterest is great. So before I am pulling together a vision board, the vision board has the actual couch and chair and art that you're thinking of using. Before I do that, I will do something that I call a mood board, which is just inspiration images of living rooms that I maybe want to Mm -hmm. emulate. I really like the moody, dark accent wall in this living room. I love how they pulled the bookshelf decor together in this living room. So you're just clipping all these images onto one page that inspire you before you start selecting those items. So that's how I use Pinterest. I don't shop on Pinterest, although I think you can. Mm -hmm. I use Pinterest mostly now for finding little animals that I needle felt. I was looking to see if I have one. I make little <laughs> wool animals. <laughs> so I've, there's everything on Pinterest, everything creative on Pinterest. One of my favorite sources for speaking of adding soul to things, if you want to shop online for things that are not your big box stores, is to go to Etsy, which is just full of local sellers from mm-hmm. around the world. You can kind of change it down to make sure you're only looking at things that ship easily to you. But there is just a plethora of artisans and makers on there. Interesting art that is not just the the thing that everybody has purchased from Target and thrown up in their rental. 
it'll really differentiate you and make you stand out. So look to Etsy.com, E-T-S-Y. I I'm sure most people know about Etsy now, yeah? Yeah, but I, I've forgotten. I forget about Etsy. Okay. You know, I've bought yeah. so many things from Etsy. And I remember you know, the, the most recent one that I was recommending to people was little Perspex thing that you put on your counter, which has a QR code for your digital yes. guide. Yeah. And, yeah, they do have great like, Oh my gosh, that is so simple to create. So somebody walks in, they might have your digital guide on their phone anyway, but there's a QR code and it's in that in that yeah. little, call it an A-frame. You know what I'm talking about, just a Yes, a, right. And you can get little um Wi-Fi password printables yes. to for your kitchen counter. You can do whole yeah, you can do all kinds yeah. of things. Etsy's so, a great resource. Etsy is great. You also mentioned two things, fast furniture. And sustainability. Yeah. I the sustainability is is something that I'm I'm so passionate about. I spend a lot of time talking to Vanessa de Souza Large from Sustonica, Bob Garner from Enviro Rental. So mm. always want to mention those two guys because sustainability is going to be a theme for the next mm. decade. And if we're not getting into sustainability right now, then you're you're going to be missing out because the next generation of people renting properties will be looking for sustainable features in a home. So you mentioned fast furniture. I'm thinking IKEA. Mm-hmm. Um, Not just IKEA. Okay, elaborate. Wayfair. Tell us more. Wayfair as well. Well, well, Wayfair is, of course, a plethora of brands. Mm-hmm. They are a seller. They don't actually brand all of their furniture. They are just a reseller. 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 Um, Ikea only sells Ikea branded furniture. So the thing about Wayfair is you have higher end pieces that are better quality and then you have some junk. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, you pay for what you get. If an end table costs a hundred bucks, it's probably not going to last very long. So yeah, I love Bob Garner. I love talking about sustainability and to really think about going high, low where you can and buying quality for what really matters most of your furniture does matter. It doesn't It doesn't all necessarily have to be incredibly expensive. I love to go secondhand mm-hmm. for some pieces and, and breathe extra life or new life into an older piece. I love old things, as I've said. And I know that's not for everybody. And it does, of course, take a little bit more time to source those, those secondhand things. But I've talked to so many hosts who love Facebook Marketplace, whose places are stunning and they really Mm -hmm. get design and they know how to spot something excellent on Facebook Marketplace and go for it, whether it's perfect as it is or they refinish it. Yeah, I think just thinking sustainable when you're doing that furniture purchasing is is so important. It is such a hot topic. You're right. The next generation does care. Our children care. Mm -hmm. My daughter's 12. She's she is a, a avid vegetarian and convinced she has to save the planet. <laughs> so it's, it is embedded in yeah. this younger generation. I've noticed some of my most popular blogs and clicks and my emails and my newsletters are about sustainability. So I think increasingly people do care. And there's, there's all the things that Bob is talking about and the other guys, you know, LED light bulbs. Mm-hmm. If your area provides recycling make sure that you provide recycling that's one of the easiest changes that i think it is it is a little bit more of a step for your cleaning team but that kind of thing does matter it then answer the question it then goes um into another question that we we touched on earlier on was about local culture 
and incorporating local culture and uh, themes into the decor of a short-term rental because mm-hmm. often this local culture the local artwork this is this this speaks to sustainability as well because you're supporting local artisans local suppliers local you know, just people who make things locally rather than yeah. buying from the big box stores right right and i think too the right way to think about it from my perspective is you are telling a story with your space. So although yeah it's going to it's going to take more time to put that love and care and attention into finding those local pieces and making sure they work with the aesthetic that you've planned and the, with the design it's going to give you a story to tell. So it's going to give you the ability to talk about how you curated this house with these interesting local artists, which local artists you featured. You can write blog posts about it. If that's your thing, you can put it on social media. So it becomes something to talk about, which is great because it gives you more credibility to your potential guests. But it also, I think, makes it a bit more fun for the host, I would argue, that it makes it all feel a little bit more, little bit more special to mm-hmm. you as well as you're the one putting it together. So yes, it's about it's about occupancy rate and bookings and money, but it's also about loving what you do. And I think when you take the time to pour a little bit of your heart and soul into the property that your guests feel that, and it just becomes this full circle of, I don't know how to say it, warm fuzzies. Yeah. (laughs) I love, I love warm fuzzies. (laughs) (laughs) It just becomes, it feels a little bit more personal in a world where AI is king Mm -hmm. and things are changing fast I think the human connection is missing from a lot of things, but in a rental and in a short-term rental, we have the opportunity to still connect. Even if you've got many doors, you know, there's still a a way for you to connect with each guest and make their stay special, enjoyable and meaningful. Yeah. I've seen over over the last sort of 10 years, what's what I've I've thought about was the fast food of short-term rentals by invest in a property, just do a cookie cutter setup and away you go. Invest Throw in the next away one. furniture. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and it, it's it's interesting how this will pan out over the next few years right. as right. as saturation becomes more of the case. Exactly. Having exactly. having, having mark- said that, regulations seem to be uh, cutting into a lot of that, and you know, yes. to some degree, yeah. that's a good thing because the people with passion and vision, I think, are going to be the ones that uh, that win out on that. I want to talk about timeless decor. You've mentioned vintage. You've mentioned going secondhand. Is that what timeless decor is about? Or, yeah, you need to explain this. (laughs) I'm going to be real honest, Heather. I don't think timeless decor exists. I don't think there is such a thing as timeless. And I never encourage people to go hard on a trend or stray from a trend. It's more about really find the style that's going to work for your avatar, your person that you're trying to appeal to, and that's going to work within the setting, within Mm -hmm. the town that you're in, within the urban or rural setting that you're in, within the architecture that you have, find what works for that space. And then do your homework first before you buy a single thing and really do think about all of the decisions that are to come. I think that's the only timeless decor is the well-designed space, the well-thought-through space. Yeah, I it came to me when I was 
I put a new kitchen into a, a cottage that we bought that we lived in for 15 years and I put this new kitchen in and when we came to sell it 15 years later it's like looking at the kitchen and thinking oh it's really out of date now <laughs> you know is 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 that possible that you can you know you can create a, a kitchen or something that you spend a lot of money on that is going yeah. to last is, is there a particular yeah. style that is timeless <laughs> Well, I will say if you're seeing something literally everywhere, for example, 10 years ago, Chevron pattern was huge. It's like the, you know, the zigzag sort of pattern. It was suddenly on every rug and every art and with everything, you know, if you see something like that, that is literally everywhere, you can be sure people will get sick of that. And that will turn over faster and become dated Mm -hmm. faster. I think there are safer decisions and then more risky decisions, but I don't necessarily think risky decisions are bad. I don't want to stray people from doing something risky because that also might make you stand out. But I think do your research, know how you're going to fit in the market with whatever aesthetic you choose, and then plan it out. Make sure you know how every decision is going to affect your overall design. And and I think you, you also need to take into account, if I do something now that fits in with the current trend, Am I good with changing it out in a few years' yes. time? So right. I think that's your risky versus safe. Yeah. You know, you risk that trend going out of date and right. and having to do something else. You it's- know, we watched a Christmas movie last night. I'm gonna date this podcast. It was Deck the Halls from 2006 with Danny DeVito. It looked it, we turned it on. It was from 2006 and my 12 year old sitting next to me. And I said, this, this was only from five years before you were born. It looked like it was from the late nineties in terms of like the interior decor. It was shocking how like deep red everything was and heavily patterned and lacquered with like reds and golds. So yeah, I don't think there is timeless. I think things do change and that's okay. But yeah, finding the ways to do okay, if I'm going to do this thing here and it's kind of trendy, is it going to be outrageously expensive to change that particular portion in 10 or 15 yeah. years? And then, yeah, make your decisions that way. When I, I, I still, when I went into the cottage rental market in Ontario, it was, you know, the decor was all bears. Everything was bears <laughs> or there were moose <laughs> or ducks. And I have to right. say I had a little thing going with ducks at that time. <laughs> loons. I had loons everywhere. Loons. Uh, and now, you know, even though the, you know, you go to a cottage in Ontario, it's all waterfront, That that's our thing mm. up there, mm-hmm. is that every property has its own private waterfront in the lake areas. And there are yeah. loons everywhere, but it does not necessarily mean... <laughs> <laughs> you have to have them inside anymore because I believe, no. you know, what people were looking for in the whole traditional cottage rental style 15 years ago is definitely not yeah. what they're looking for now. And there is a way to do loons and bears that isn't necessarily cheesy too. So look for, for subtle ways to fold it in instead of it being like bold and huge and in your face and big golden lacquered loons yeah life-size bears at the entry that's not necessary there's still a lot of those around I'm sure (laughs) so let's talk about artwork because that is something that I think you know everybody needs artwork in their space but how do you choose it you know I see a lot you know if I'm looking around on Airbnb and just looking at properties so I know that one that's that's Ikea Exactly. You don't want that. You never want someone to recognize the Ikea art in your rental. So just don't put it in there. That's the bottom line with art. 
So I actually yesterday sat down and outlined a class. I'm going to I'm going to teach a class and put it on my site because I think this is a, a really common intimidating thing to shop for. It's very difficult. It's overwhelming. And it's hard to know how to, okay, well, if I, I can pick one piece of art, but how do I pick 14 pieces of art for the entire house and make them all work together? And how do I afford that? So it is, it is a big undertaking art. And I don't, there's no one easy do this kind of thing. I think it's important. Like I said, I feel like it's a great way to differentiate. And in a lot of cases in, in rentals, it's the most decor you can do because you don't want tons of things sitting around on the shelf. Your de- your little tchotchkes can only take you so far in a rental. You don't want tons of them. They're going to need to be dusted. They're going to walk away. Mm-hmm. So you want to really think about what you can do on the walls to differentiate your space. So it's not just art, it's wallpaper. I'm a big fan of wallpaper. I love it. Also think a lot about it before you purchase <laughs> or put it up because it isn't cheap, but it, it photographs super well. And it does make your place stand way out if it's done well. I'll give you some of my favorite rules about art. Bigger is better. So try and think about scale, the scale of your wall. If you've got a great big giant blank wall, try and do a great big giant piece of art there. And there are ways to do this that aren't outrageously expensive. There's all kinds of sources online. Etsy, we'll go back to Etsy, is a great way to find artists that are unique And you can usually buy something called a digital download and then send that straight to a local office shop or printer to be printed. And then you can get your frame from Ikea or from somewhere that's not outrageously expensive and put it up. So I think art is something to spend some time on and make sure it works with your overall design. And it's a great way to differentiate. So pay a lot of attention to your art. Don't go to Ikea and buy their posters. Because, yeah, you know, there's that's not the goal to be the Ikea, to be mm-hmm. just like everybody else and to be recognizable for the Ikea art. We can do better. I, I remember going to visit a property this before I sold my property management company and I went to visit a property to assess it for coming on to our uh, rental program. And and it was an investor who'd who'd bought this property and clearly had just paid absolutely no attention to where he was. So it was the most glorious location on a lake. And and I walked in. The first thing I saw was this enormous print of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I mean, that just goes without saying, doesn't it? <laughs> well, would I would think. have thought so, yes. Sense of place, yes. Take into account the location before you purchase a single piece of art. Make sure people know where they are when they're looking at the decor on your walls. Um, and I'll, I'll take another one. I mean, I, I have my wallpaper on my computers is is all, it's a photograph that I took out on the beach here down in Gulf Shores a, a couple of years ago. It's a beautiful picture of the sea, you know, the sand and the seagrass. It's not, it's not of the ocean, but it's looking back to, mm. and, we, and we've seen these, these photos with the boardwalk going off, but you know, I took this yeah. picture and I love it. Yeah. That would not be appropriate in a Colorado mountain home. Right. It wouldn't right, be appropriate right. in an Ontario cottage, even though yeah. it may be on sand. So, you know, I, I, I certainly get what you're saying. So what about selecting yeah. selecting artwork for different rooms? Mm. 
Oh, yeah. It's so it comes back to the vision boards. So if I have an entire house that I'm doing, um, I'm going to put all of the art on one board together. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something that I've bought locally, I'll take a picture with my phone, put it right into that Canva board so that I can see everything together and make sure it all sort of flows. This doesn't have to match, but if it's going in the house together with a rental, it's a bit different than a home because your first impression is all on screen. And they're going to see all of these pictures right next to each other. So they do need to relate and make sense in one way or another, whether that's color or location or style. So I make sure they all go together. And what was the question? (laughs) It was about different rooms, you know. Different rooms, yeah. yeah. Putting something in a bathroom. What do you put? Do you put artwork in a bathroom at all? Yeah. You know, if you've got a big space in your kitchen. I, I I remember buying a property and thinking, oh, what do I put in the kitchen? And I yeah. found something on, in Ikea, which was, uh, you know, a, a print of kitchen utensils. Can you imagine how bad that was? <laughs> I hope it wasn't giant kitchen utensils, it like life-size. No, no, but okay. it, it, was, it was bad. It, and it was a small one, It was, and it really looked inappropriate. It didn't last. I have to say, give, give me my due, it didn't last very long in there. Yeah. I mean, listen, I get that it's it's a lot to think about all of these things. Anything you're doing with the rental, it's tough because time is money. We want to get this thing on, we want to get it up and we want to get it listed and we want to start returning on this investment. And so I understand all of that, but I'm going to say what I've said the whole time, which is to slow down and try and curate these art pieces that you can actually open your rental without your art all being up. You can get it going and then add two things later. So with art, I love sourcing from different places. I love secondhand for art. There is so much amazing art in England, especially in America as well. But, you know, there's, there is just, there are more beautiful frames and art out in the world than we, we wouldn't have to produce a single other mm-hmm. thing. If you go to any of these local vintage fairs or so, so yeah, finding second things, finding secondhand things, finding old things, finding local things that takes time. So you may want to kind of slowly do it over time, depending on if you live near your rental or if you're flying in for the, you know, mm-hmm. a week and you've got to get it done. That's a different story. So I don't know. And that's a real designery sort of answer because I think art should be crafted and it should take a little time. It is the expression of, of your home. It is, um, it breathes life into your home. I will say, I think that pictures and art of animals and people photograph really well and make a dull room come to life. Mm-hmm. So consider that when you're shopping for art. So just people, you know, any people? Well, <laughs> like look at the picture behind me. I see. Yes. So, it's, so a, it's, a, it's a Matisse sort of pencil drawing figure of a woman's face. Yes. It's not, it's not somebody's photograph. That would be weird, but a, an old portrait, if that right. works with your style or yeah, animals are really interesting as well. Yeah. So just try and think about breathing some life into the space with beautiful birds or interesting portraits Mm. or, you know, pencil drawings of figures, that sort of thing. Um, Can you give us some tips on shopping in secondhand stores? You know, I watch these shows where people are, you know, shopping and they're bargaining. Is that something that you do? Yes. Okay. I absolutely do. I do for every project that I touch if I'm local to the project and I encourage people to do it. And the way that I do it, I feel that makes it a little bit less risky because you can't always take things back to those places, right? So you kind of need to know that what you're buying is something that you really like and want to use. That's why I will do the design first. 
So I will do my plan, my vision boards, understand what I need, what sizes I need of certain things. And then I will go to the secondhand stores or the vintage fair or whatever it is. And I'll, I'll know that I need a piece of art for over the sofa that is between 50 and 80 inches wide that I know it has to fit in the space. And if it's any less than 50 inches, it's not going to work. So when I'm out there, I have my measuring tape. I have my vision boards on my phone and I can say, oh, this is, this is exactly what I wanted. It's 70 inches and it's going to fit perfectly and it's in my budget. So I'm going to buy it. And I know it's, I know it's going to work and I feel confident that it will. So I generally know what I'm after before I go Mm -hmm. looking at the secondhand things. Otherwise it just, you're just overwhelmed. Do you always pay what is on the ticket? Oh, that just so depends on where you are. I think if you're at, if you're at a place that people do tend to bargain, then you absolutely should. And then there are some places where culturally that's just not not done and they're not going to take less for it. And that's that. So I think just know your know your audience there. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, as I say, I've been watching some of these, these shows where they send people out to the secondhand stores to buy. Mm. You know, you've got this amount of money, you're going to go and buy, yeah. buy all these things, and then you're going to put them up for auction. So it's a little bit more, maybe not secondhand, but antique stores. Maybe that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but they always do the bargaining. You know, this is up for $65. Yeah. Will you take 15 Right. <laughs> well, you don't want to be insulting. But yeah, I think most of the time you can offer less. And if it's a Facebook marketplace purchase, people yeah. will always ask if they can do less. And if they don't, if they won't sell it for less, then they'll tell you. And yeah. you've not really offended anyone unless you say $15 when they've marked it at 150 That might offend them. Yes, that, that might be offensive. I go back you know, years and years ago and maybe I had a, maybe I had a design gene back in my my 20s because I remember going to a second furnishing my very very first house and buying this amazing dining table and chairs and and it was so inexpensive and it was a Victorian piece Um, yeah uh, just absolutely amazing Um, oh me too exactly the same my first dining set was old the table cost a hundred dollars I got it from a secondhand store and folded all the way down I had it for years and served 10 people at that table all the time. It had leaves, you know, it yeah. was. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what I had. And I don't know what became of it, but shame. <laughs> I, you know, years ago, I, I lost that. Oh, my gosh, Valerie, this is such an interesting conversation. And I know I could go on and on. I've just got one last question for you. Um, and it's about using the feedback that you get from guests. Yeah. Um, how important is it to get feedback from guests on the way that you've designed and decorated a property? And would you use that? At what point would you use that to make some changes? Mm. I think if it's constructive feedback about the comfort of something, you should jump all over that. For example, I have a client who said she has a, a beautiful black futon and it works in the room, but she got some feedback that it wasn't comfortable. So she's going to replace it. So that kind of feedback should always be taken Mm -hmm. seriously, particularly if it comes from more than one guest. You know, if it's just from the aesthetic point of view, I don't think people usually give feedback. If you ask them directly, they might. But if 
I'm not sure that that's the right place to turn because unless that guest really is a designer or has a design Mm -hmm. eye, their one idiosyncratic opinion may not help you. I think if you want feedback on your place and the aesthetics of your property, you need to go to a designer or somebody that does design consulting like me that could audit your property and help you understand, okay, what if I have, you know, a couple thousand dollars to throw at this thing, what would I do first? That's more important feedback than than what one guest might say. And that's a great segue into talking about quill decor and and what you do offer to your clients. Because I love that idea, you know, I've I've got this budget, can you help me yeah. to to spend it? Yeah, so I have a design course as I mentioned where people can kind of have a roadmap, the step by step for if you're furnishing an empty property and you don't really know design or have never furnished something from scratch. It's a great step-by-step to understand the sourcing. What do I do first? Then what do I do next? The budget, all of that. Um, But I also do consulting and just do one-on-one with clients, help offer feedback on their existing properties. I can do audits and I can do virtual design as well. So as you know, I'm based in Cambridge, England, which is where we live now. But most of my clients and my business is based in the US still because that's where it was when I started it. And it's a big country. (laughs) So I've just, I've kind of kept going there. I know the sources there really well because I've done it there for so long the the right places to buy the right things to buy. But I do work with people in England as well now. Excellent. Well, we will put all this detail on the show notes so that if anybody wants to connect with you, they can. If I still had my properties, I would be taking a course. And it is is so great to hear that that's out there. So all the information (laughs) will be on the show notes if anybody wants to connect with Valerie and learn more. Valerie, it's been absolute pleasure i mean huge pleasure thank you um, Heather, you too <laughs> to talk to you i've learned a huge amount and as i say you know i might even think about doing a vision board for my rv you know you buy these things <laughs> yeah. and they they all come you can sort of see in the background it's sort of, sort of yeah. you know it's it's pretty typical i can't even call it decor it's definitely not been designed by a designer i don't think <laughs> is that where you live full time now no I'm no this around. is just this is just the winter this is just the winter. The winter in Alabama. Uh, winter in Alabama and summer in Ontario. Yeah. But no, yeah, no. I shall I shall put some of these things into into practice. So yes, thanks thanks wonderful. so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Oh, thank you, Heather. The pleasure was all mine. It was so lovely chatting. Thank you so much, Valerie, for that great information. As I said at the beginning, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not a natural creative, if you like. I do what many people do, and that's just go for something that I really like and for one room and then go for something I really like for another room. And I realise now, in all the times that I created my properties, I never had a flow from room to room. I never really thought about it. Now, I really understand how it all comes together for the people that do have these amazing looking properties. So I hope you enjoyed uh, all that information from Valerie and that you will put it to some good use. Take a look at your property, do a makeover, create that vision board and let me see the before and after pictures. I would love that. And of course, if you want to get hold of Valerie, then you can just go to the show notes and get the information on where to find her. And you can also go to 
quilldecor.com, where you'll find loads of information about uh, what Valerie does as a consultant and as a trainer. And I think if you got the opportunity to work with her, I think you would find that incredibly rewarding as well as lucrative for your business. So that's it for another week. Really enjoyed being with you. And of course, I will be here with you again next week. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.